Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined by Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? Jeff, any day that I talk to you is a glorious, shining day. It should be. It should be. I'm lying, um, but, you know. Now, <laughs> si since we did our last show, did we yes. talk about um, going to see Zach Wilde over at Starland? I don't think we did. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting show. It was a very interesting show. First off, I I, I will say that uh, the Starland Ballroom is my home uh, concert venue. It's three minutes away from my house. Um, I have seen many a sold-out show there. Many a sold-out show. Never did I ever see a crowd that packed for a show, even though it was sold out. And I figured out the reason why. Um, you can sell 2,000 tickets to go see Hanson and walk around with no problem. You can walk around with 2,000 people for a Zach Sabbath show and not be able to move because all of his fans are gigantic fat monsters. <laughs> there were a lot of big people. Um, Holy but... Christ, on a bike. It was it was horrible. There was one point where we were trying to go to the merch booth, and we had to wait 15 minutes because there was no way we could actually walk through the crowd. Yeah, the, the, it was it was jammed, man. It was really packed. Um, but I liked the show. I liked seeing him in a small venue like that. Um, I didn't realize how much he sounds like Ozzy. Well, he kind of mimics it a little bit with his act. I mean, his voice is a little nasal to begin with, but he kind of mimics the Ozzy sound. As, as soon as he opened up with Supernaut. Oh, and, nuts. I yeah. loved it. That that was excellent, and then into I think they did a symptom of the universe, uh, children of the grave. I mean, it was really I thought it was a really good set list. It wasn't the typical songs you're going to hear from Sabbath. Um, I really I thought I thought it was it was good. The only thing we talked about this on the way home, um, he loves the sound of his own guitar playing. Yeah, that's the only thing that's starting to really get to me now. And, and uh, you know, my best friend came with us. He, he's a uh, he's a guitar player too, and he's just like. Yeah, you gotta stop with the fucking solos. Dude. Yeah, a, a six-minute song turned into a fourteen-minute. Well, that's the thing, focus. man. He's a two-hour set in fourteen songs. In fourteen songs. <laughs> Cut the solos in half, dude. You can add freaking four more songs onto it. You know, the thing is, we we love music, and our guest today is not only a comic, but he, you know, we, him, and I did a show for a couple of years together. And really, man, he's he's in a music he's 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 in a music aficionado. He's he turned me on to a lot of stuff that, that that I didn't like really listen to, and we'll get into it on this episode. But uh, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show. We we had him on during the pandemic in the early stages of Who's Your Band, but we're having him on as a solo guest today. Give it up for Dustin Chafin. Yeah, how are you, Dustin? What's up, guys? Very, Great to see you again. Excited. Very excited for this. I like uh, that. I like you, buddy. This is fun. I wanted to go to that concert. I did. Um, Are you a Zach I mean, uh, Wild fan? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm Sabbath, all that good stuff. Uh, anything that rocks, you know. It's interesting. I went to um, Guns N' Roses about a month ago at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, similar situation, except all the... Uh, the fans of Gun Ro Guns N' Roses were mostly uh, disabled because of all the stuff they did in the 80s and 90s, getting drunk, <laughs> falling off roofs and stuff. So there were so many crutches and like <laughs> just wheelchairs just rolling around there. I think their fans got a little banged up. But uh, yeah, it's f interesting. You said about the uh, you know, of course, he wants to hear himself, you know, play so damn good. You know, I mean, I, you know, but with it's the uh, same solo, Dustin. 
it's I the same it. solo. It's okay, you know. It's how how many more solos has he got left? You know, he's got to he's got to he's got to keep doing it. That's your passion. I mean, you don't get tired of your jokes. I mean, maybe you do a little. Well, bit, I get tired but... of Jeff's jokes. <laughs> I, I, I totally get tired of Jeff's. <laughs> but let me tell you, you know who earned their money at Guns and Roses? Slash that poor guy. He's I felt great. like Axl Rose would come out and like he could, you know, he barely got through some songs. You know, he just can't. You know, you can't sing that high when you're in your sixties or whatever. He's you know late fifties yeah. or whatever. And so um, poor Slash would just it would just be like you could tell Axel is he just can't do anymore. And then here comes Slash and he's coming out. And he's doing a solo. And then three minutes later, here comes Slash. And he's doing another <laughs> solo. And he did like it 15 minutes, his own thing. He's doing blues and whatever. But uh, he's he was the reason you went to that show. I mean, Slash oh, yeah. was phenomenal. And uh, I didn't realize how good he was. And so that was a really cool to see, you know, because you was know, that your first good. time seeing him? No, I saw him in the peak 89 when they right. were just on top. And then that was the second time I saw him. And so quite a gap. But um, it was, yeah, I just didn't realize how good he was with blues and things like that. I thought, you know, you know, he's good on Guns N' Roses songs, but you just, you know, his solo work is great, too. But and, uh, you know, what was the his band that he uh what was that? Snake uh, Velvet Pit. Revolver. Velvet Revolver, Snake I think. That yeah. was that Miles, was the. Miles uh, Kennedy stuff is really yeah. good, too. Yeah, that stuff's good. So all his solo work is good, and his guitar work on that is amazing. But uh, just to see him kind of, you know, live and like just feeling it, and just it was really fun. But I don't yeah, mind I a, a guitar player that goes too much. I think that's I, why I'm I decided there. that I'm not going to go see them anymore, even though they're my favorite band of all time. Yeah, you know what? This tour was good. I would see them on this. I think they got it together. They figured it out. You know, oh, it's that three hours. Sucked. They play three sucked. hours, man. And yeah, the set list was great. And no, they, it sucked. It sucked. I didn't think so. I didn't it think had it sucked. seven cover songs. Not on this. But that's what Guns N' Roses does. Not on what I saw. I didn't see seven covers. Not oh my God. I don't want to hear. I do not want to hear Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell coming out of Axel's mouth. I don't want to. Every, they took out Out to <laughs> Get a, Me. You're not a fusion guy, are you? <laughs> no, look, they took out Out to Get Me out of the set list and replaced it with Wichita Lineman. I mean, you know, I don't mind. I'm a country guy. I thought you were a country guy. What happened? Uh, no, listen, I am a country <laughs> guy, but I'm also a purist when it comes to that kind of stuff too. Like I understood when it, when Glenn Campbell died and they added it to the set. Yeah. That was cool. When Chris Cornell died, they started doing Black Hole Sun. I get it. Wyland dies. They're doing uh, uh, Fall to Pieces or Slither, which is amazing. But you have a great catalog, and you're taking out some really, really. Well, I see it yeah. like this. I like when you're doing a long set and you got to do a little crowd work, kind of fill the time. I feel like that song, he doesn't have to scream. And so they're like, all right, this is your downtime. And then we'll go to Welcome to the Jungle or something where you got to bring it up a notch. And so I really feel that's what it is. You need some low key songs to get to those crazy songs where he's got to like really blast it out. I really feel they're, you know, you're preserving that voice, man. I think that I has think a lot to do with it. You got to slow you it down. When you talked about Slash and his blues style and covers, um, I think he does a great lead when they did the cover of Since I Don't Have You. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, really that, wails on that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize. I was listening. I was driving, and I listened to Illusions 1 and 2, and I didn't realize how many covers were on those things. Oh, my God. It was just like there's like 15 covers. <laughs> Listen, I'm a huge – I've always been a huge GNR fan, but I'm also that that person who does not uh, – who doesn't uh, sugarcoat shit. And uh, use your illusion one and two. I mean, it has a lot of filler on it. And it if, you put it together, it if you put it together, you have one masterpiece, but there's a lot of garbage on those two albums. 
Yeah, they. I think it's just they were so popular, and you know, they wanted to do something big, you know, and like a Kiss Alive kind of thing, and they just, you know, wanted to just kind of get it out there. They knew people would love it if they loved the band, and so I think it was just kind of one of those. Let's do something big, and people love us live, so let's record half of it. And you know, I feel like that's what it was. Just give the it other the thing, fans. The other thing, Sean, is they really don't have a deep catalog. No, they really don't. I mean, that's the thing. But you know, I, but you don't have to add seven covers in. You can also throw a bone to like your your diehards and do Locomotive or you know the Garden or Garden of Eden or you know even something yeah. off of. Uh, they were doing some deeper stuff off of Appetite that they weren't doing the last time either. You know, which is yeah. you know side I, two of Appetite I, week. But is there any deep cuts off of Appetite? Everything seems to be like um, like a radio friendly song. No, like they do like think about you or something like that. Like that's not like they a radio. That one. They did that yeah. on there. Not a radio friendly hit or not like a, a single or anything yeah. like that. But you know, I don't know. I, I just I kind of left me with a little uh, bad taste in my mouth. When did time. you see them? When's the last time you saw last them? Summer. Last summer. Oh, you I did. Saw you saw them. So it was yeah. the same set list. Okay. I saw it them. Uh, I saw Axel with the All Star Band at Roseland. You know, back in the early two thousands, and then when the uh, the big tour, you know, came out, I think I saw them seven times on the first. The first two yeah. rounds. And then one did they play three hours on oh, one yeah. song? Every, oh, every okay. time, every yeah. time. Right. And they did bring out some great opening acts too, which I thought was was great. We saw Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we got Smashing Pumpkins, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh that's great. Yeah. Who did you see them with? Dustin? Uh, Black Black Keys is one of my favorite bands. So that was all. Awesome. Open. Yeah, they opened. Oh one. wow, and that's that's a fun mix because it's like. You know, you normally don't see that. I mean, that's what's fun about GNR. I mean, they had Chris Stapleton open once. So it's like, yeah. you know, they're they're doing, you know, cool stuff, trying to like switch it up a little bit with the audience. But, but uh, I, you know, I get where you are. It's like, but nobody's 20 anymore. So I get why, you know, the set lists are what they are. And they're just trying to give the best show they can. And I thought they put on a great show. I, I could sit there and say, oh, his voice or whatever and this and that. But it was a good show, man. If It just brings that nostalgia back. I didn't think I thought they were better now than they were when I saw them in 89. I felt like they didn't have the cohesiveness and they weren't like, you know, I mean, Axel cracked his voice five songs in when I saw him at uh, Dallas Cowboy Stadium. It was just like, you know, so, you know, just, it, it, I, I don't know. It's a good time. That's all I'm saying. It's just not, when you hear Sweet Child of Mine, it's so hard not to just freak the fuck out. And you're just, you hear Night Train and, ah, Night Train! But, you know, and just, uh, you know, Brownstone and all that stuff. I don't know. I had a good time. To me, I, I don't tried. expect too much at 60, you know? I, I actually <laughs> said the first time I saw them, I actually went to Philadelphia with an old friend because I didn't want anybody uh, in this area that could have seen me because I knew how I was going to get. And I was yeah. like, look, if I'm going to go see them for the fact, like, the real first time, and this was like maybe six, seven years ago. I said, there's a very good chance that you go to see me cry. And people were like, oh, you're going to happen. You're going to happen. And I will never forget it. It was the, literally the first notes of It's So Easy. He's going, dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. what a <laughs> pussy. Stop it. I pulled my eyes out. It was great. <laughs> yeah, mine was Night Train because I, uh, I used to uh, play this uh, PlayStation 1 game. Um, like a motorcycle gang uh, game and it's like you hit people with chains and stuff they're trying to come up on you and uh, they, they did the soundtrack and the soundtrack's phenomenal and that those early uh, PlayStation games they look great soundtrack but uh, anyway now that's know, called driving in Philadelphia but that's the name of the song no, oh, no driving that's in Philadelphia. oh that's what it's called now LA too, man. It's crazy out here. I'll be out yeah. there soon enough. Dustin. Have your chains. Oh, I like it. I like it. You moving? 
Uh, no, I'm coming out for oh. a long weekend. I'm uh, nice. Jeffrey. No Jeffrey knows uh, we interviewed a, uh, a great guest, uh, Andre from Morris Day in the Time. Oh, and on. and we uh, we hit it off. We became friends, and nice. there was a drunken night after one of his shows, and there may have been a little Mother Nature involved in that as well. When he introduced me to his fiance, and I was like, "Well, this is I can marry you if you guys get married." And then I got a phone call like five months later: "Hey, you still uh, into uh, marrying us?" Oh, so wow, uh, I'm officiating. I'm flying out to officiate his wedding, and then we're going to watch the Super Bowl. Uh, and then I think nice. I'm going to try and squeeze in going to see the Black Pumas at the oh, World. They're playing so the World Tour in uh, the night that I fly in. Oh, so I'm that's like, phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to be very disappointed if Jerome is not the best man. <laughs> no, no, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm calling on, I'm calling on. He's going to show up with a mirror and, like, in the middle of the he's, wedding. I'm going to be very disappointed. Sweetest, he's the sweetest <laughs> man I've ever met in my life, number one. But uh, I'm going to call my buddy Andre out because he uh, doesn't realize what he's doing because he booked a gig the night before with Morris Day in the Time. And they told him, hey, you don't have to do this one because you're getting married the next day. Why don't you sit this one out? We got somebody to fill in. He goes, no, I'm going to do it. I'm like, great, let's go to the show beforehand. We'll have a great time. And he goes, the show's in Kansas City. I go, so you're telling me you're playing in Kansas City, Missouri on a Friday night in the middle of the fucking snow belt in the middle of February. And you think that you're going to walk off stage and get round to a plane with no delays and fly to LA so you can get married. So yeah. there's a very good chance that I'm going to be marrying him while he's on FaceTime at the airport. And the <laughs> I just hope they still have private jet money. That's that's really all I want out of more staying the time. Do not have <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they have Uber money. <laughs> I don't know if that Greyhound's going to make it, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a great story. It's, you yeah. got to. All about hey, the stories. Let, let's talk a little bit about Dustin. All right. Um, Dustin. I, because I really do want to catch up with you, man. I mean, 2023. Sure. From from my perspective, was that was a big year for you, dude. Um, you had a dry bar special come out. Yes. Um, fun. You yeah. were on tour. It seemed like endlessly be between uh, Nate Bargatze and TJ. What what was what was your impression of twenty twenty three for you? Uh, it was great. Um, I feel like uh, old guys still have it. You know, it's like uh, you know, this, it's funny with stand up. I feel like you you feel like you kind of age out and whatnot, and. Uh, coming to LA and kind of just kind of rearranging my life a little bit, uh, opened up, you know, a lot of great opportunities and, uh, it's just been fun. You know, I just felt like things started falling into place. I started kind of becoming a better comic and just kind of, you know, kind of re look, you know, kind of just looking at my stuff and looking at what I was doing on stage and kind of trying to take it to another level and, and just, uh, you started working clean. Uh, cleanish, you know, um, I, uh, you know, I, that's a, that's an interesting thing because I, like, I don't even think of Nate Bergazzi as a clean comic. I just think of him as a comic, you know, I mean, it's, um, if you watch like his early stuff, it's like, he's talking about being drunk and like naked in a hotel hallway and stuff like that. So it's not like clean in the sense of like corny church clean. It's just, uh, you know, we don't say f-bomb and we don't talk about licking pussy but i feel like it's like i'm still edgy and i still talk about what i want to talk about and addiction and what all these things i'm dealing with and so i feel like uh i did kind of you know not go for the cheap laughs and i think club comedy clubs sometimes you know we're, we're dealing with animals you know we're up there we're like 
you know, they're half drunk. They're, they have now with all the TikTok stuff, they want to be a part of the crowd work. They want to yell out stuff. So they, you know, are involved. And so I think a lot of that stuff uh, creates habits. And so the habits are, you know, or you maybe go a little dirty or whatever. And so I think I just kind of, uh, yeah, just kind of grew out of that a little bit and just started playing these places where, you know, it's funny, you get you play these arenas and stuff and you're out there and there's like 15,000 people or whatever. And it's like, you look out and there's like, you know, a whole family, you know, you got mom, dad, the kids, Nana. And so the material, you know, it has to kind of resonate and not, you know, offend those the, the crowds in front of you. And so I just learned to kind of take my life and realize I can still be funny without having to, like, go down certain roads, blue and stuff. And so, yeah, it's been interesting. But um, I feel like it, it's, when you take that out, I you know, you become a little you have to be a little smarter on how you're going to deliver your material with, with, you know, what kind of punchlines and things. So it just made me a better comic just having to. And the money's great. So I'll sell out to anything that's, you know, good money. <laughs> so. No, but you 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 really had to wear. I mean, like you're a hack. I mean, you had to really wear different hats here. Like, let's take, for example, your you know, when you in October, when you were here for uh, Radio City, you played yeah. Radio City, which had to be yes. uh, the biggest thrill for you. But then the same weekend, weren't you headlining uh nightclub? You were doing like uh, one of the governor's, governor's rooms. Uh, the, okay. the, the, the not good one. What was that? Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you what, McGuire's? No. What's the, 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 uh, oh, the what's the one? The, no, it's a good one. one. I'm just kidding. No, please okay. book me again. Um, <laughs> no, but to, to, but to, to yeah. go from to go from doing a nightclub, which was maybe have 150, 200 people, to yeah. doing uh, Radio City, which has about 8,000 people. Okay. I mean, does anything change? Uh, yeah, it changes a lot. Um, you know, club mentality is you're a little more interactive. You're a little, you slow down a lot. You know, I feel like, uh, you can kind of take some risk with kind of going off cuff and whatnot. And then when you're in a place like radio city, which is not the best place for stand up. I mean, Nate agreed that the beacon is way better and things like that far as, cause it's so crazy. You go out there and it's like this straight row of people and then it's like three balconies all the way up yeah. and so it's just the weirdest thing you're just like i you know i feel like an arena feels more comfortable because it's just at least it's it's i don't know there's something about the, the three-tier balcony but i think you're just you're bigger you're you're a little quicker but at the same time you got to wait on the punches because there's a roll of laughter coming and if you don't wait on it you might step on you know those laughs and stuff so yeah i mean it's just something that you know it's it's it never feels right it's 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 ridiculous like it i'm still terrified every time you know there's like ten thousand people it's not the something i'm getting used to <laughs> you get up there's a freaking jumbo you know, I feel like I should have a guitar with a band behind me playing that many people. It doesn't feel right that you're just telling jokes and there's thousands of people in front of you. But I am getting a little more confident with it. And, you know, Nate's really great because he, you know, allows us to kind of do new stuff. And I tell you, that's there's nothing crazier than that. And we're like, I'm work out new stuff in front of like 11,000. And so but um, but that's the vibe because, you know, he's a New York guy. We're all his New York guys. And so I feel like it. he wants it to feel like it's, you know, kind of that energy of, you know, 2000s when we were in New York together and stuff. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely changes. But like I said, I never know what's going to happen until I get out there. You know, music saves me. I listen to a lot of GNR before I go up. I just put the headsets on. I kind of do my, you know, Eminem thing. I'm just, you know, I just I try to pump myself up and then I just hope that it goes well but at the same time the end of the day they're there to see him so it doesn't you don't have to put this pressure to be this amazing guy but 
it goes well, you get good fans out of it and, uh, you know, everybody wants to crush it. And so, but there is something when a joke does land with that many people, it's, you know, it's the greatest feeling in the world. So is there a host? Um, there, I kind of, are you the, yeah. f- are you the first guy on stage? No, I usually, well, sometimes we'll rotate out. There's usually, there'll be like three of us or two of us. And, uh, if there's three of us, usually, uh, you know, somebody like Julian McCullough will like he'll host it. And then like me and Vecchione or me and Nick Govicki or whoever's on on the tour. Um, we usually but sometimes we'll just do like a tag team. And then, you know, and then we go off stage and then Nate comes out like he's Aerosmith. You know, the lights go down. The music's playing. The lights you got like a strobe light, you know, the whole and the like, arena the whole full thing. when you get go on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, not like know, an that, opening. That band. is the advantage to a family friendly comedian. Um, you know, people aren't straggling in, you know, half drunk from the parking lot. You know? So it's like people are in their seats with their kids, you know, so it's like, you know, it's every you know, you might get a little bit of somebody getting to their seat, but they treat comic. I feel like, you know, because the way we treat um, opening bands in this country is just atrocious. You know, Absolutely. it's like it's just so many people there to see their band and you miss so many good bands because you're just in your head that they suck. And so there is a lot of that, which True. and then these bands go on to be the biggest bands ever. But you just don't give them the chance when you don't feel like you know them or whatever. And so I feel comedy fans of that magnitude um, are a little more kind of, you know, open to you as opposed to just ah, it's just the opening people. And so I feel there's a good vibe with it. You know, I have full confidence in my career that I will get to like a level of Nate, you know, where I can do, you know, bigger eight, 10, 15,000 seat places. But, you know, I promise you one thing. Um, The first person that I call when I get this, the first person that I call is Jeffrey Paul. Yeah, I'm going to be holding my breath for that. Okay. No, no, I am dead serious. The first person I call when I think opening acts is Jeffrey Paul, because I know you know a lot of people and you can give me a good recommendation. (laughs) Yeah. I'll make you have to be likable first, guys. I just want you to know Nate's very likable. You guys got to work on your inner self. (laughs) He, he, I I told you, he was like when I first started comedy, he was like one of the first people I ever met and he helped me my first year before he moved. Um, I need a little coaching. I remember that. Yeah. So you also worked with TJ Miller in uh, 2023. And, and, you know, I know a little bit. That's kind of slowing down a little bit. I'm starting to headline more. And so we were, uh, yeah, we were doing quite a few clubs together this year. I kind of branched out and kind of got into some more mainstream comedy clubs on my own headlining and stuff. And so, yeah, it's, is that, is that an effect of the, uh, the Bagazzi tour? No, that's just me just hustling, man. That's just, uh, you know, that's the thing about like comics that are like, oh, I don't want to feature. I want a headline or whatever. It's like, you know, if you get a chance to play a good club with a good comic and, you know, has a big fan base, it's like, take it, you know, take it. Even if the money's not great or whatever, because that's the thing. It's your showcase for the club. And so you go in, you crush it for 30 minutes and they're like, oh, this guy, this guy could headline. You want to, you know, you want to come back and do your own show. You're you're a killer anyway. So I I appreciate it. And but that's but that's what I that's how I approach those shows. Every time I did something because TJ, it was mostly comedy clubs. And so that's how, you know, I knew I could kind of jump to that if I just kind of had great shows and, you know, made a good impression on the owners and bookers and talked to people. And that's kind of how I got dry bar. I opened for him in Salt Lake City at the wise guys there and that guy runs all the uh dry bar specials and stuff and so 
And it was funny that um, it's Salt Lake and, you know, you don't really have to be clean or whatnot, but I chose to be clean the first night. And it was the only night I was clean. And it was the only night he watched me, this guy. And so every other night I was filthy. I was talking about being a Mormon and jerking off, like all this ridiculous stuff. But the first night, and he was the only night he was there. He didn't even was it there. And then it, we talked about, and I asked, which that's the thing in comedy. It's like, you know, I talk about this, you know, everybody thinks it's about punchlines and being the next Bill Burr. It's also about knowing when to ask and when to kind of know that you're ready for things. And I think that's so hard for us as comics because it's like we don't want to look like an annoying guy. But I remember I just did the set and he seemed to like me. And I said, like, hey, man, I know you did that dry bar. Could I send you a 20 minute whatever? And then you just booked me on the spot and because I asked. And so I feel like that was a big moment for me because that's what I struggle with a lot is asking people for things when I don't want to be that annoying guy because I ran shows for so long. And so I know how annoying that is. But, you know, that's so that's kind of how I got the dry bar. Speaking of annoying, <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite. This is my favorite thing. Is like, like people knew I was friends with you, okay? Yeah. And they was like, oh, um, you know, how, how do I approach Dustin? And I and, and I always would tell a story that I once saw that, and and this probably happened to you a million times. So Dustin used to uh, run uh, Grand Village Comedy Club. And like you know, it wasn't a very big club, and you'd be waiting like really in the audience when they were about to call you up. And so Dustin is a guy who gets in his head. He, you know, he's he's focused. You know, he's he's getting himself, you know, inside ready to go on stage. And then some some open micer or some new comic would come up to him as he's about to go on. Hey man, uh, what do I have to do to get on the show? And Dustin be like, "What the fuck are you talking to me like this now for?" He's like, "I'm about to get on." He's like, and it's like that's the worst thing you could ever do to Dustin. The the number one pet peeve of him is that, and you just did it. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic was terrible for a lot of people, but it was good for me because uh, I got to realize I'd never wanted to do that again. <laughs> I never wanted to be staff of a comedy club and I just wanted to be a comic. And so, yeah, I mean, comics, I get it. Comics are eager and everybody wants a shot and it is OK to ask. But, you know, that's not the time. And I always feel like, you know, and I have a problem with guys like that. It's like. You know, it's like you need to be sitting in the audience watching the comedians before you even ask for anything. And that's because, you know, nobody wants to learn from the comics. They just want to, you know, get their shot. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a time and a place. And uh, that was definitely not the time. Um, but I, I would I'd be at other clubs and I'd be about to go on like a totally different club that I'm just passed at. And somebody would come up before I go like on the comic or, strip. Sam <laughs> New York, uh, West Side. I, could, I think I sorted out the comic strip as well. Yeah, but it, people would just, you know, and I get it. People just see you as like a ATM spot machine, you know. <laughs> like, oh, you got the spot. She got the spot. And it's like, and I, I never, because. Because I was the king of the bar shows, you know, that's, you know, I used to just run my own bar shows. I had the best bar shows in town. And that's that's how I came to running shows. I was just, you know, I was the first person to do comedy at the Village Lantern. When I got there, it was just an open mic on Mondays and they had no shows. It was all music. And uh, I just started, you know, doing comedy shows there with the same model of handing out flyers and all that stuff. Kind of started a little bit of that. And then uh, we had Patrice O'Neill and Greg Giraldo. I mean, every the stacked, you know, they would come over from the cellar. It'd just be the best lineup. And then and then clubs started kind of wanting me to kind of, you know, run shows. And that's when uh, Boston Comedy Club, the right. legendary Boston Comedy Club, was um, um, they had fired their their guy that ran the shows and whatever. And my 
club, you know, the village Lantern was so successful. They were like, Hey, you want to run the thing? So there was a moment in time, probably about a year and a half. I ran both clubs. I ran the Boston comedy club on West third. And then I ran the village lantern on uh, bleaker. And I would start one show and then run over to the other club and start that show, stay for a little while and then run back to the lantern. So I was just like going back and forth running shows. And so I came king of comedy, king of the village, uh, you know, was what I was. I could I, I was the guy. And that's when Al Martin was like, because I'd run shows for him, too, at the Broadway Comedy Club. We did like uncensored comedy. That's where I, Nate and all those guys were involved. And then um, he asked if I, you know, they knew I was good about, you know, he knew I knew the area. And so he asked me to um, run the uh, Greenwich. And uh, that was probably uh, one of the hardest things I ever had to, you know, I had to choose because it was like I was passed at the cellar. Right. And it was like this weird thing where I was just like, ah, you know, it's like if I go over here, I create my own scene. I can get as much stage time as I want. I can book all these guys that I think are funny. But if I leave the cellar, I'm leaving the cellar. And so that was a tough you know, thing. I had to sit down with them. It made the New York Times like it was a whole just, you know, shit show. And I ended up kind of just going with, you know, with uh, Greenwich. And I don't know if it was a good decision or not. I still think about it. <laughs> if well, I just think been about over there, many... became better friends with Amy Schumer, maybe this would be a different <laughs> life for me. No, that's not true, because you you be really Martin th Norman. <laughs> <laughs> but think about how many careers you really kind of like started off. At, at, at Grinch. Because the funny thing that used to be about Grinch, you'd book these shows on a Saturday night. And I was fortunate enough to get on some of them. And like some of the people who you would see on those shows on on a Saturday night, maybe a year and a half, two years later, were go, getting on HBO or they were getting then passed at the cellar. I remember guys like yeah. Ricky Velez, Mike Lawrence. I mean, like yeah. all these guys you were bringing in. And these were like incredible shows. Yeah, I think the problem with comedy is not enough good comics run shows. And if you're a solid comic, then you know comedy. If you're not a solid comic or you've never done comedy, you're just some random booker at a club, then you don't really know talent. And so you, if you, unless you've grabbed a microphone, you really don't know what a good set is. You just don't. I don't care if you're you know, Mitzi Shore or Esty or whoever, if you've never grabbed a microphone, you're going to be missing a little bit of what, of what you see in someone. And I think the fact that I was in the trenches with everybody, you know, I was at the other clubs, I was on the road with people, I knew who was funny. And so, and that was my standard was like, we're gonna have just as good a show with not even close to the budget as the the big club next door. And so uh, that was my mentality. And then I feel like I'm the George Carlin of spotting talent. Like I get, I, everybody that I chose Ended up, you know, kind of Pete Davidson and like, you know, Mike and Nate and all these guys, you know, everybody just kind of blew up because, you know, they needed somebody to believe in them early. And I think if you do comedy, you see that early thing, whereas a lot of bookers miss it because like some people get nervous when you try to audition for a club. Maybe the crowd sucks, maybe whatever, like a, a person that doesn't grab the mic all the time doesn't take those things in consideration like i i would have people i passed just that that bombed but i still thought they were funny because you know i saw something and so yeah i pride myself in that you know i mean now it's my time like i'm you know i'm not i don't need to take care of everybody anymore but uh you know that was a good you know i feel like it's good to do that i feel all the great comics and bands did that stuff you know like kiss took care of it uh van halen and 
you know, certain bands took care of other bands. And, you know, I think that's how it should be. When you have the power to do that, you should use it in that way instead of being, you know, using it to, like, you know, manipulate and all that stuff, which a lot of people abuse the power of being the gatekeeper, if you will. But I tell you what, I'm, I, I got exhausted towards the end there. So it was, uh, it's a good thing that I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I love I taking that, care of people, but I never want to take care of people again. <laughs> there were Saturday nights we were doing four shows. Yeah, you, you know, know we start with your sex great. and you would end at like the for the twelve thirty. Um, yeah. so how much of of crashing was actually based on like what you actually kind of put out there between the Boston and um and the Village Lantern? Um, you know, it was kind of truth fictional. You know, did he work for you, Pete? Uh, I mean, he handed out. Yeah, he's a guy I took care of. He handed out flyers, and I moved him up to MC and kind of booked him on the road and things like that. So, yeah, we, you know, he was one of my young guys, him and Nate and some other guys. And so, yeah, I mean, they they did it. It was kind of a weird thing. I wish they had done it in the time that it was happening. Instead, what they tried to do is they made Boston Comedy Club in a modern day setting, which I thought was weird because the best part was, you know, a very young Chappelle and. You know, a very young, you know, just like, you know, Geraldo or young Louis and like all that stuff was more interesting to me. I thought I wish they should would have actually done it in the time that every the time frame of everything happening. But, you know, the thing about the barking was great. You know, just comics, just paying dues was pretty cool. I mean, I think he moved pretty fast to, you, you think? know, to, to, he, to he wound like, up being you know, a warm up comic yeah. in the third episode. <laughs> yeah. So stuff like that was a little much. But there are more guys that did kind of get it quick. You know, there were guys that got I mean, Pete Davidson got it pretty quick. And there were guys that just like, you know, they did one thing. Some guys saw him. Boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, they're on Wild and Out or whatever. And they're doing stuff. And so that did happen for some guys. But, you know, that wasn't Pete's story. But um, but I thought he's a great job. It was it was an honor to be a part of it. I got to play myself, which was fun. And so, yeah, anything anytime you get an HBO credit, it's pretty great. So but I thought they did a decent job. They made my character kind of a combination of of other characters. It was like five guys in one or four guys in one or something. And so it was a little bit of me and Dub David off and a little bit of like, uh, you know, some other guy, uh, Brian, I uh, forget the guy who also helped me run the place the or own the place. But uh, Barry Katz and some of those guys. But, yeah, it's you know. It's it, it was good. I thought it was, you know, it's nice to see, you know, some people see how hard it is to get stage time, which is, I think, you know, the kind of what they were trying to depict with the barking and all that stuff. You you moved to L.A. kind of like during the pandemic, like when we were in the midst of it. Yeah, kind of yeah. towards the tail end. Yeah, You're right. What, what do you find right now? Optional. What, what, what's your impression? Biggest difference between New York and L.A. and the comedy scene? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is just like, I mean, New York is the best place in the world to do stand up comedy. It just always will be. It's the best place to start, in my opinion. Um, if you're a big fish in a little town, get out of that town immediately and go get humbled in New York because it'll make you a great comic. And I think the amount of stage time that you can get in New York is just priceless. You can't I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you could you could do seven, six spots a night if you're lucky. There's so many clubs, there's so many independent shows. And so I feel New York has that. Um, L.A. is the kind of place where you may not get that kind of reps. You know, you won't get the stage time. But what you will get, I remember being in New York for a really long time and I would crush a lot and nobody ever cared. You know, I would just destroy and nobody ever saw it. And nobody, you know, there was nobody in the crowd. It's not like the 
you know, the, the 70s where Johnny Carson's in the back smoking a cigarette and next thing you know, you're famous, you know. So but what's good about L.A., you might just do a five minute spot. You know, you might get three spots for the week or four spots for the week if you're lucky. But when you get off stage, somebody from Warner Brothers might be there because everything's here. And so you, ha you have a, a relationship with somebody who's in TV and then like, hey, can you pitch my thing? And so those kind of like. You know, I feel you aim a little higher in L.A. Like it's not just about being a stand up. You're like you're here. That's to right. Pitch a show. You're here to do something bigger. You're here, you know, so I like that energy of L.A. So I think that's where you might lack a little bit in reps of getting up on stage. Your connections to people and bigger things are kind of I feel more out here. So, so that leads me to my next question here. Uh, you moved to L.A., but you're never in L.A. because you're on the road all the time, it seems like. So what does yeah. 2024 bring to you now? You know, now that you're branching out on your own, maybe Nate will start taking a back seat a little bit, you know, take a, a little time off to write some more material. So now that leaves you open for you. So what, what what's the plan for 2024? Um, well, I have I have uh, quite a few tour dates with Nate coming up and um, I'm in February, April, we have big tours coming up. And so I have plenty of work, plenty of road work coming up. And uh, yeah, just, you know, just trying to um, I want to I want to do a new special. I'm trying to, you know, do something that's uh, kind of more geared towards my my addiction story and growing up in the 70s and 80s, my dysfunctional family and kind of the ridiculousness of my life and kind of, uh, you know, how addiction kind of played a role and things like that. So I kind of want to do something dedicated to that. And so that's kind of my big 2024 is writing that special. And so, um, yeah, just concentrating on that and, um, yeah, just working and coaching and whatever, you know, I'm a hustler. So it's just, I'm not, you know, it's like whatever, however I can make money through the guise of comedy, I'll do it. Yeah, you, except, you, you, except book a club. <laughs> listen, you, you, yeah, you, you did that for, you had to do that for close to 20 years, right? Yeah. You know, I've been doing comedy when it was black and white, you know, I've been, uh, I've been in this a long time, man. But but I don't feel like I have, you know, because I feel like I'm I'm a better comic this week than I was, you know, three years ago, you know. And so I think that's the beauty of comedy. If you you know, you can get better each time. And so, you know, I learn from every single set, a Zoom set, um, 10 people in the crowd, 12,000 people in the crowd. It doesn't matter to me. Every time I get up, it's something well, I can work on. You, you, you said something before I want to change the topic. Uh, you're a very resilient guy. Because during the pandemic, when, you know, I I was doing parking lot shows and, you know, speakeasy, you know, like, you know, like, you know, secret shows. Dustin um, did a Zoom album. He did yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. That was that was probably the hardest thing I ever did. And I got it on Sirius XM. And that was the goal. I said, I'm not going to be able to make money you know, doing comedy clubs. And so how can I, you know, and I'd started doing some shows, uh, Rye Daddy and, um, you know, Adam Hunter and all these guys were doing Zoom shows. And I was like writing a lot of material. And I was like, man, I should just do a new album. And if I could do it on Zoom. And uh, I did a, a show on Comedy Hub and Jay from Comedy Hub uh, reached out. He said, I really like your stuff or whatever. And then I, I pitched the idea. So once you record it, we'll try to do a Zoom album. And then our friend of the show, Anthony Kapfer, he's like, he's really good at like producing and editing stuff. And so he, he uh, produced my first album. He did all the editing and stuff on that. And so I said, let's, you know, let's try to do this Zoom thing. And it came out great. You know, I feel like I was very happy with it. The laughs are there, you know, I mean, you could tell it's a Zoom, but it's not gargled. Like, it doesn't sound like everybody sounds like Darth Vader when they laugh or anything like it. It sounds like a rich 
album like there's people and the beats are there and people are laughing but but i enjoyed it and the best part was i could just do i could i I wrote poster i had poster boards and i just had all my material on it so nobody could see that i was just like looking at my stuff as i go down that was the great thing about doing a zoom show yeah i literally wrote that i wrote it in like three months all new material and then i just had it kind of just because i had nowhere to work it out really except a zoom here or there so i literally had it and it was uh you know my girl's family they're potters so they had this big barn area so basically you know uh recorded it in a barn and just had it and it was funny because i you know i wasn't around people at all because we were all like away from people and so my uh i guess i call her my mother-in-law we've been together 18 years but um she had all these uh hats with mannequin heads that had hats on them and stuff and i said how funny would it be to just put mannequin heads in front of me so i feel like there's an audience and so so i was so literally in front of the screen (laughs) all these mannequin heads and so i do a little crowd work to the mannequin head to be silly or whatever but it did make me feel like there was an audience in front of me because after you start to get into your material you forget that there's like fake heads in front of you (laughs) but it but it kind of put me in a zone where it was like i'm just doing a set and i was able to you know i did two shows and we pieced it together and i'm really proud of it and i've made money off of it and yeah it was one of those you know you had to we had to figure it out it was like i think everybody had a podcast that was the big thing everybody did. And then uh, I feel like this is one of the things that's like, yeah, I want to make money, you know, uh, quick money. And so, yeah, they, and I was so happy and they put it on Sirius. So it was great. Yeah, and it was shout a out ver- to comedy records. They did a great job. Getting it was record. a very original, like, again, it, it was just taking a risk and taking a chance, which is something is, is admirable. Um, so you're living out in L.A. Um, you, you the, the lifestyle seems to agree with you. You love it. Oh, um, love but you've it. also kind of gotten into the music scene a little bit. You know, you've, you've been going to shows. Um, who have you seen live out there? Well, first of all, I've been in music scene my entire life. But seven years old, I saw Led Zeppelin with my mother. So I've been uh, an, an allegiant fan to rock music my entire life. I, I'm fortunate my parents were into good music. Um, yeah, I do like the scene. And that's one thing that, like, when I got to New York, it was uh, I came there for college back in, you know, the early uh, like the mid late 90s and uh, CBGB's was there, you know, uh, Continental was there, Coney Island High. So that rock and roll scene was there and, uh, you know, it kind of bleeded out. There's not a lot of, you know, so there's some good rock clubs, maybe in Brooklyn and here and there, but it's tough to find a good rock club. And then I was always fascinated with the L.A. scene, which is, you know, Rainbow Room and Viper Room and all these, you know, the Sunset Strip. Yeah, it's all that's all the songs. Half the songs mention the Sunset Strip. And so I'm excited about that. Um, Yeah, I go to some punk clubs. I just saw, you know, I love the Bobby Lees. I think they're just a phenomenal rock band. It's there's one of the top. 10 shows I've ever seen. Every time I see them, the, it, they're phenomenal. If you get a chance, the Bobby Lees, not to mix it up with the comedian Bobby Lee. But, uh, yeah, they play the Mercury when they come to Ah, uh, They're so fun, man. I'm telling you, you go nuts. I mean, they'll fake your security when you're there. Everybody's a child, <laughs> but it's a good time. <laughs> but I'm always leaning up. I'm the only one not in the mosh pit. I'm just leaning up against the wall, you know. But uh, yeah, I love the scene out here. And the record stores are great. You know, Neva Records and like all these independent all the record stores. Yeah. So it's like it's a good, you know, if you're going to move out of New York, you know, you got to move to somewhere that's hip and cool and a good time. And then I tell you, the weather ain't bad either. So, you know, it's like 70 degrees today. So, you know, it's like that 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 helps a lot. And I do like the lifestyle, you know, hiking every day, my dog and all that stuff. So I, first time I, I ever went to Amoeba, I actually had to ship everything back. 
because I bought so, <laughs> I bought so much, oh, I bought so much I vinyl it. out there. I could. Well, there when just... you're out here, let's hit a store together. I'd love to see you. I'm totally. I think, yeah, I think I've seen two, you in years. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, let I, me know. Hit me up. I look at the two of you as music purists. Yeah. Okay. Um, so th- this has been like a big thing. It's been in the news for a while, but but it's becoming more prevalent now. Um, it's more prevalent. It's more acceptable. But what is, what's your opinion on bands using backing tracks? Because it was an instant. I, I I forget the name of the band, but uh, they their whole set was on a, a laptop, and then their van was broken into. Their their quick their truck was broken into, and they took their computers and they had to cancel the show. Okay, Um, you know, if you're a musician, if you're a band, you should be able to play and not have to rely on a computer. Um, There's been accusations of Kiss doing this. Wasp is is, uh, doing this on their uh, most recent tours. So what what, what do you guys stand? Where do you stand on bands using backing tracks? Uh, Well, who was the band? Was it 21 Pilots or something? Was it some? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a band as, as big as that. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, well, you should always have backup, you know, I mean, it's like, you should always have one in your pocket. I think if that, if that's going to be your, uh, your van full of instruments, then you should have backup at all. Times. But are you okay with a band <laughs> using, you know, playing off? Yeah, go, really? Craftwork and like Depeche Mode. I mean, there's so many bands that use Depeche like, Mode play their instruments. Yeah, but there's some computer effects involved. There's a lot of there's a lot of music that is, you know, a synthesizer is basically a computer, you know, a computer piano. You know, Dustin, it's got, yeah. do a lupa. Okay, am I saying her name right? Do a, do a lupa, you fucking mook. <laughs> do a lupa. <laughs> she dropped her microphone. Okay, and then she went to go pick it up. She kicked it. Okay, and the vocal is still going. You're paying for 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 a record. I'm not, I'm not okay with that. Well, I gotta tell you, I saw, I saw Shine Down. I saw Shine Down uh, a bunch of years. I, I'm a big fan of them. I like I like them a lot. Me too. They're great. Very I, underrated. I saw them. Uh, I've seen them since like the second album when they were just a little tiny club band, and you know they opened yeah, up for Seether and Blue Seether out of the water, and I was like, this band's gonna be big. Then they break out with Sound of Madness, and then I saw them at PNC Arts Center one time, and my buddy's a huge fan. We're standing next to each other, and I'm looking, and I'm going, you realize this guy's fucking lip syncing right and i never i never would thought that at all but then like again same kind of thing running around on stage if you're gonna lip sync hey make sure you do the job right keep the goddamn microphone near your mouth because you can turn you back to the crowd and no one's gonna have an idea that you're lip syncing but if you're if you're running around and your microphone's down by your side of your pants and you can still hear good, the vocals. Be a good lip syncer if you're going to do it. That <laughs> kind of shit bothers me. If you're a rock band, I think if yeah. you're a band yeah. or a solo actor, stuff like that, yeah. they get a little more leeway with yeah. playing to a track or something like that. But if you're like a straight up rock band and stuff like that, I don't know. I have a very big problem with that. Yeah, when I said computer assisted, I did not mean lip syncing. That's not what I'm. Yeah. That's not what I'm endorsing at all. Um, I do feel. I mean, I know Jeff and I've we've. Uh, disagreed a little bit on like Kiss and bands like that and that have maybe some backtrack vocals going on during the show um, I feel that's the okay. whole set is on computer yeah but he's singing though he's uh, you he's know singing along with sing- the track well he's singing though he's 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 singing it might be to keep him on track but he's singing it don't you can't tell me Paul Stanley wasn't singing he, it's, it's enhancing his singing 
Okay, well, it's, yeah. like I said, sixty uh, something. You know, okay. so yeah, well, seventy something now. Seventy um, something. Yeah. So when I go see a, uh, like a Jeff Tate, or I'm going to go see uh, Sebastian Bach, you know, uh, you know, priests now, guys who are vocalists, guys who are singers. I don't want. I I want to hear the imperfections. I want to hear the voice. Yeah, I, I agree. don't want to hear the backing track. I but agree. if it's the case, I get it. A lot of yeah. that's to do with ego too. I think that they it's want ego. they don't want, they don't want to it's sound also, like they're they're not the way they were 20, 30 years ago either. Yeah, it's also arenas. You know, that's a, that, I mean, just doing stand up in that type of space is like it's incredibly like overwhelming. And I think they want it to be this big thing, and they want everybody to hear the sound the way it sounds on the record and stuff like that. So I see giving it a little little extra push, you know, to kind of make it big and explosive in an arena. Um, but yeah, I mean, some guys keep their voice. You know, I just saw the cult on Howard Stern. Ian Astor, he still sounded amazing. He still sounded like he did on the album, you know, back in, you know, 25 years ago. He still sounded great. Some guys keep it, you know, some guys yeah. don't. I think Mick Jagger still sounds pretty good. You know, their new Definitely. album is good. And so some guys can keep it. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I would open up the show like. Like if that's if that's the case where you feel like, all right, you're doing this live show, I would I would the coolest thing ever would see, to see an artist come up and be like, hey, guys, we're about to start the show. Just want you to know, you know, I'm uh, you know, I, I can't quite sing as good as I could. We're going to have a, we're going to have some backtrack a little bit. So don't get weird. It's not karaoke. I'm going to be singing. But you might hear a little whatever. You know, don't exactly. put it on the Internet. You can make a joke out of it. Don't make me a TikTok meme or whatever and then just go here we go and then you just start it and so everybody kind of gets it but they never do that they 100%. try to like 100 hide it and that's when you get when you try to try to hide something from like a fan base that's when you're gonna get in trouble you know if you're honest about it nobody's gonna give a shit you know you ever, you ever see chris stapleton live i'm going to see him live in june so yeah okay, i'm so, excited so i want you to i want you to really watch i've seen him i think six times now um watch him and then when you're listening you're gonna be like this guy sounds exactly like the record yeah. like there is no faking how just monumentally talented this guy is when you go see jeff i don't know if you're a fan of his or not or you know who he is i'm, but... I'm a moderate fan i think he has a tour coming up uh over the summer like he's doing an uh an amphitheater with, with like it's like a real diverse interesting bill right yeah like he he, he does it every year and i go i get tend to go every year but He's so talented and he's so good that you truly think that you're just listening to the CD or you're listening to the vinyl. Well, I will say this. Um, I'll go against my own stuff here. Um, rock singing is way harder than country singing. You know, I mean, you're basically you're almost talking when you do country. And so it's 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 a lot harder to, to freaking hit those notes, man. When you're doing like Welcome yeah, to the Jungle or something, it's like that's a lot harder to hit than it is, you know, Tennessee whiskey. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's guys like that. Yeah, they're going to sound they're going to sound like the record because it's you know, you're not having to kind of scream into a microphone. So I think, yeah, that that is the advantage to kind of more loungy or country or something that's, you know, a little more low key. I think they, you know, don't need all those effects. I'm I'm also a big fan of cover versions of songs. And I think we may have covered this on, on a Dustin's Vinyl episode. Um, but what, what, comes some of your, what comes to mind for you? Either things you discovered or, or a couple of songs that you like. You had to name two or three. What would you what would you say is like a, a cover song that you would want to turn people on to? 
Um, there's uh, Cowboy Junkies, Sweet Jane has always been one of my favorites. Oh, um, wow. You know, that's a great, great version of that. Lou Reed has said himself because he sounds better than I did. And uh, it's amazing. Um, I just got the Chris Cornell, uh, just kind of the extras of songs that he did, like at Sirius XM and all that. All his covers are amazing on that. Nothing compares to you on that. It's Excellent. the most be beautiful thing you'll ever hear. It's so great. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, but uh, Motorhead, uh, uh, Louis Louis. Um, is that the song? Louis Louis? What, mm -hmm. I forget what. You do yeah, a great version of Heroes, too, by David yeah. Bowie. Yeah, that was good. So, I, yeah, I like any band that is. I'm not, you know, I don't hate on the covers, but I do feel that, like, when you put it on an album, I think it's cheating. But live, I think it's great. I'm There's not a guy a big I want fan. To check out. There's a guy named Mac Glocky. So it's M A C G L O C K Y. So this guy does covers in a way that I've never seen before. He takes requests from people, but what they'll do is he'll say, Can you play this song in the style of this band? And the guy I've does, seen that. Oh, but he does uh, a version of Rock Lobster in the style of System of a Down. Oh, that's cool. You know, just weird shit like that. He'll do, um, they'll say, that. Can you do Semi Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind in the style of Incubus? Metallica, yeah changes his voice and his whole playing and everything to sound like those guys though which i think is really super talented yeah i think my all-time favorite cover uh sturgill simpson does uh that 80s hit promise and I'll oh that's great you, you turned us on to that that time. yeah sturgill simpson he's great if you like chris stapleton you'll love yeah. sturgill oh, but I love uh, I love yeah sturgill's great but that cover is oh it's just i mean when he gets to the chorus is heart-wrenching it's so good but yeah, I, yeah. When I do like it when like a country singer sings like a, a Prince song or you know Dwight Yoakam does a great Purple Rain as well. And so when you know when you see a different genre covering it, I think that is always a good time. I enjoy. What do you think of Dolly Parton's new record? <laughs> God bless her. You know, <laughs> she's Dolly Parton. She's Dolly Parton. So it's hard you know, to it was, critique, critique. I downloaded it. It was thirty songs, yeah. right? And, you know, yeah. listen. Sometimes her voice is a little too screechy. I understand that. But some of the song choices she did was great. Then I get a notification the other day. It says, the deluxe version is released. I'm like, <laughs> she fucking put out 30. What kind of deluxe version is she put? It was nine more songs. Yeah. 39 I had songs. A, I, had a I had a tough time with that one. I didn't buy it or anything. Because I, uh, I love Dolly. Dolly broke my heart once. I told Jeff. I, I uh, That's a great story. Tell the story. I got well, I mean, I'll shorten it, but it's yeah, I got tickets to see Dolly Parton and for my girlfriend's birthday. And we we're so excited. And it was the Hammerstein Ballroom. I was like, oh, what a great small place to see her, you know. And we go. And uh, who's the guy that does all the um, the, he wrote all the songs, wrote a lot of songs for Dave Bowie and Duran Duran, Niles. Now Rogers. Now Rogers. Right. Black yeah. dude. Guitarist. Yeah, he's a, okay. a, a bass player. Amazing. Yeah. Bass player. OK, so he's on the show as well. That's right. So um, so it's Dolly Parton and him. And uh, um, we're all excited. I mean, people are freaking out. There's like everybody's got wigs on and fake boobs. And like it's this Dolly world of people just so excited to see him. So we finally get in and we have great seats. We're up in the balcony, but we're center balcony. So it's perfect. Everything is great. And then we're so excited. And she comes out and we're like, yeah, you know, she comes out. She opens with nine to five. Everybody goes bananas. And we're just having such a great time. And then second song, she goes, I'll always love you. And that song, everybody's going crazy. Oh, what a beautiful song. And then she leaves.
And she's like, oh, I got a little cough. You know, I was probably probably had COVID at the time. And she's like, and then she just leaves. And this was, I mean, this was way before COVID. And she just leaves. And then like, that's it. She did two songs and she's the top bill. And then poor Nile Rogers, he did, he did like 40 songs because he has to like make up for all this stuff. And he's like, hey, I just, you probably didn't know I wrote this song. And he's like, you know, breaking out to some song, you know, and Duran Duran's song or whatever, Hungry Like the Wolf or something. And you're just like, what? And so it was the craziest thing that like two songs and it was 150 dollars tickets and i was just like are you kidding me so i i'm a little on the fence uh with dolly these days she uh i feel she owes me some money or another concert or at least a, a season pass to dolly world but uh yeah i try to listen to some of those songs she did like queen and some you know we were rock you know it's i don't you know sometimes i say stay in your lane and sometimes i say no and i think rock needs a certain kind of soul and uh, I think she's kind of the country is kind of where her lane is, whereas Johnny Cash was never quite just country. He was kind of this punk rock country guy, like, you know, poet, like he had so many there was a lot going on. So he can cover a Trent Reznor song like he can make that like a beautiful. Oh, thing. he made he made it. But I don't that was and I think great. they should have made they should have made better choices with Dolly. I mean, I think they should have, you know brought in American studios and like, you know, and made it more like more serious songs and kind of I, like I the way they did with Loretta Lynn, with it with Glenn Campbell, or Johnny Cash, like that's, you know, that's who they should have, you know, that's what they should have done with her. Many more serious albums. Instead of she's got an eye patch and a leather jacket. And I'm like, what's that me in high school? What's going on? <laughs> and she's like running around the title. And she looks amazing. And I love it that she's a, the, had the cheerleader outfit on and the football thing or whatever. And I love her. It's hard not to love her, but I don't know if this is, I, you know, I feel like these people don't have, they don't have no people in their life. They don't have somebody going, Hey man, maybe you shouldn't do that. You know, I feel like you get to a certain status. Nobody's saying no to Dolly. And I think somebody should have steered her in a more serious musical direction. Cause I'd love to hear just Dolly and acoustic guitar, just some dude just playing acoustic guitar and her just singing some ballads and stuff. And like, and maybe doing some covers, but not this like trying to just redo the song and and it's just ugh I yeah I thought that was a bad choice and nobody gets the deluxe version of that I'll tell you. <laughs> Did you hear um, Waylon's uh, grandson Way Jennings just do a, uh, a really great yeah. cover, Hallelujah by uh, Leonard Cohen? Yeah, he, those those kids yeah. are great. Shooters, great. Yeah, those that's a talented band. And so yeah, it's like you know I like that kind of stuff. I like it when siblings kind of play homage and do different things yeah um uh producer adam adam you could chime in you don't have to write you know your your family here. yeah i let um, adam have his face on my show you guys are <laughs> in the corner oh come under, on under the base had to lay under the bed and just, adam like, show your face <laughs> show your face dopey okay because i miss your face adam there, there he is, is. <laughs> ah, now, 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 now tell dustin what you what you wrote no i was just saying that um Dolly Parton does a uh, an incredible. Actually, it's a uh, bluegrass cover of Collective Soul Shine, which is oh, a really, okay. really excellent cover. That sounds cool. That's not in the album, is it? No, no. no it's, uh, I, was, oh, okay. I just looked it up. It's from 2001's uh, Little Sparrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I done brought a lot yeah, to this yeah. fucking conversation. <laughs> <laughs> go back, go back to typing, dipshit. <laughs> No, I mean, I'd rather hear that than, you know, but that seems, yeah, they just didn't do a good job. Like that album's just like crazy. And it's like, you know, she just wants to be sexy and relevant. I get all that, but. Well, I think she did it because she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and she felt yeah, bad. Yeah, I know she it. wasn't a rock and roller. So she, I mean, put, she well, tried Willie Nelson, something. Willie Nelson's in. He's not a rock and roller. It's like, yeah, you don't I have get to it, be. There's a lot I of hip hop guys. I give her credit. 
Uh, yeah. I give her credit for Jolene. I don't give her credit for um, that. The reason why <laughs> the reason why I asked about the um about the cover songs is because I've been going down this rabbit hole. I, I love listening to acoustic stuff. And do you guys remember Nick Lowe from like the 70s and 80s? He was in a band called Rockpile. Anyway, as a solo artist, he wrote, you know, a kind of big hit called Cruel to Be Kind. And I, I listened to Good it. Song. Yeah, I listened to it acoustically. The guy's in his 70s now. The song stripped down is absolutely amazing, phenomenal. And so I started listening to different versions of the song. And I noticed that Letters from Cleo did a version of it. And they do it like in a really m more upbeat, really like punky type sound and it's excellent so i was kind of you know i was curious i like bands like uh goldfinger do a phenomenal version of 99 red balloons um the lemonheads did a great version of mrs robinson so i wonder if you you guys heard any of these uh versions of these yeah, songs there was a big there was a big thing where they did like punk goes country punk rock punk goes this where they had all these punk bands that were doing all different types of cover songs some of them are great but you know some of them are hot garbage too you know um, there, yeah, there's a lot I mean, of good covers. I mean, like uh, Atreyu. I don't know if you know who they are. They do a great cover of "You Love a Bad Name" by Bon Jovi. Um, Buck Green Cherry Theater, everything they do. Buck Cherry uh, for a while was doing this thing uh, when I don't know if it was Bandcamp or one of those one of those pay you know uh, pay services. They uh, if you join their fan club for five bucks every month, you would get a new cover song. And they did like uh, Devil Inside by NXS. They did I've Done Everything for You by Rick Springfield and On the Road Again by Willie. Um, so those are some decent ones. I, I love uh, Def Leppard does No Matter What. But I forget who who does that. I think it's Badfinger. That's Badfinger, yeah. Badfinger. They do a great version of that. But they also did a, a cover album. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. That's true. Hailstorm did a couple EPs that were covers oh, as well. They Stone do Tower did. Their, their version of uh, that Lady Gaga song is uh, a phenomenal, off the charts. And Shinedown does a really uh, bad romance. Oh yeah, it was a, I saw that live before they released it. And I was like, this is going to be a banger. No, uh, sick. Uh, Shinedown did a really cool version. Um, you have to go on uh, on iTunes or whatever of uh, I feel the Earth move. By the Carol King song, yeah, 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 really, really great version of that. And then um, I think that's really like my; th those are probably my favorites. I would say. Okay, so let's wrap things up with you, um, you know. And, and Dustin, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has yeah, been thank you guys. excellent. Anytime, you know, um, love to hang out. You turn you know, when we did Dustin's vinyl. You you know you turns on to some like and we all turned each other on to some pretty cool music. Yeah, uh, turned me on to the struts. That was fun. I appreciate yeah, that. One of the artists that you turned me on to was Gary Clark Jr. Uh, oh, yeah. And you know I I hadn't listened to him until he was like, hey, you got to listen to this album, and then like let's talk about it in a week. Okay, so like I listened to it. I I, I love him. Um, so it made me think, if you had to put together a Mount Rushmore of guitar players. Who are, you, who are the four guys you're putting on your mind? It doesn't mean that the best guitar player. They may have had an influence. Uh, they may have uh, they they may have did something to stand up. Who are you a Mount Rushmore of guitar players? Yeah, I mean these things are always kind of tough, you know, because I feel like yeah, you know, I feel like blues guitarists are different than rock guitarists, jazz guitarists. You know, it's really it's really tough to to put in. You know, I think impact is. Um, Kind of uh, important to me, you know, people that kind of changed things. So um, I think Link Ray would be up there um, just for mm -hmm. Rumble alone. 
Um, you know, they banned it from the radio because kids were getting pregnant and like, you know, <laughs> crashing cars and doing crazy <laughs> stuff. They were like, they was like, but at the time, you know, the late fifties or whatever, like they weren't ready for this sound. And so I think, you know, anybody that takes something like, and it was all instrumental. There was no lyrics, you know, there was no like Elvis lyrics like where people went crazy and whatever. It was just a dude with a guitar and he's native American, which I love. So he deserves to be on some, you know, Dakota mountaintop or something. But uh, I think Link Ray would be up there just as impact. And if you've never heard Rumble, you've never heard one of the greatest pieces of rock music of all time, in my opinion. It's very surf rock and cool. His sound is fantastic. So I think a guy like that would make it just for impact. Um, I think Stevie Ray Vaughan would be up there. I feel Can't Stevie Ray Vaughan is somebody that changed kind of the perception of blues. It's not just an old black man on a stool. Like it can, it, it, blues can rock. You know, he was doing stuff with his fingers that, you know, a lot of people couldn't do. And I feel like he influenced a lot of the rock bands that were coming after him. And so Stevie Ray would definitely be up there for me. Um, Brian May from Queen, I think, uh, would be a guy that, uh, you know, deserves more credit. And when he comes to the conversation of guitar, everybody's going to go Eddie or this guy or that guy. But I think a guy like that started a lot of that music. That well, was, the uh, was overdubbing. Yeah, just some yeah. great innovative stuff. And so I think that's the, the innovative stuff. And um, Sister Rosetta Tharp, I think she was like the first uh, person to actually bring electric guitar and singing together. And so you got to You got to put the person that first did it. And the fact that she's a woman is pretty freaking cool. And so, um, yeah, I think she deserves to be on that because I think we need to recognize people that were kind of innovators and trailblazers. And she was, you know, if you get a chance, it's old kind of gospel sound music, but she adds this electric guitar sound. I mean, she shreds, dude. And this is like the early 50s. And so, um, yeah, I think that would be, um, I think my, I guess, you know, there's, there's honorable mentions. You know, Eddie's going to be in there. I think Prince, in my opinion, is going to be in there. Big I think time. let's I don't think there's a better solo than the end of Let's Go Crazy. You know, I, I think that I mean, every time I hear that solo, I go, I just I can't not listen to it. I mean, there's eruption and all these other things. But for some reason, Let's Go Crazy is just, you know, the end of that is great. So I think Prince was kind of and then once you saw him when they did that induction and he's like shredding to my guitar uh gently weeps and like oh, he's phenomenal. just every he's blowing everybody on the stage and those are the most phenomenal group of musicians on that stage tom petty's like what and everybody's like what's going on and they're just amazed how good he is and he you know and so i think he would be you know i, I think it needs to be more than four guys i think because guitar is such a you know it's a beautiful a thing yeah i think it's tough um i'm trying to see if anybody else made um jimmy hendrix would also be honorable mention as well Jimmy's uh, he he's a guy that impact, you know, music changed after he grabbed a guitar. And so I think, uh, yeah, I think I would have like the big four that would interchange each other. I would just I would just switch them out. Like at my Mount Rushmore, it would be a rotating Rushmore because I think, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you just put it okay, could for, change. Uh, yeah, it for could. this year, it's going to be this guy and this year, this guy. I actually made another list. This is an I because I knew I was doing this. I made a Mount Rushmore of living people um, that are relatively active. The only one that I'm not sure about uh, is Jimmy Page. I don't know if he's still active, but and it's people I've seen live. I've actually seen all these people live. And so I saw Jimmy Page. I saw Led Zeppelin when I was young. And I still remember the double neck guitar and like, you know, the, the way the crowd was reacting to it. 
Uh, Kingfish Ingram is this blues sensation. I saw him open for Buddy Guy. Most incredible guitar blues guitarist I've ever seen in my life. This kid is young. He's like 26, and he's a prodigy. He's phenomenal. Um, I just saw Alice Cooper and uh, Arianthe. You know that? Arianthe? Oh, She's yeah, of Australian course. Yes. guitarist. Yeah, she used oh, to be uh, Sam Borer's girlfriend. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, she's way more than his girlfriend now. I mean, she can shred it. Also, Slash is going to make that honorable mention. And then I saw uh, P.I.L. when I was a kid. And Steve Vai is uh, is somebody yeah, that's going to make that list. Stupid. Yeah, Steve Vai is going to make that list as well. So that's that's my kind of, you know, my Mount Rushmore thing, which I do. Like, I think you should interchange everybody once a you, year. You brought up some pretty cool <laughs> names, names that you, you don't see on like a lot of lists. Why do you go with Adam? Do you have any uh, any thoughts on this? Well, I actually just pulled up the uh, Rolling Stone 250. Not the Rolling Your Mute his microphone. Mute his fucking microphone. <laughs> sure gets away. Think for yourself, Adam. Think for yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> Who is your... Like, 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 you know, something that's personal to you. Okay? Oh, God. I can't wait to hear this list. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, there was a band in... The Blow Monkeys had a Don't really good lead well. guitarist. <laughs> Don't set on the Blow Monkeys, man. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I dig in your scene, Dustin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd have to Guy think radio I've never actually done a uh, uh, guitarist list. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd have, to, I'd have to think about it. It's, uh, no, we'll, we'll come back to you. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew this was a mistake. Go ahead, uh, <laughs> I treated you better, Adam. I he's much better. better as I. I There's a reason I, why I you also never prepped you, Adam. No, I prepped Adam. Like <laughs> Jeff just throws him under the bus. Like, hey, you don't have anything. You only have three seconds to think about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> he knows. The thing is, he knows music. Okay, but he he this is Adam. Go ahead. He's shy. It's what it is. He's pee shy. He's the kind of guy who goes into a stall to take a piss. He doesn't want to piss. He is pee shy. Yeah, Adam. I like it about you. You don't need these narcissistic comic energy all the time. I like you, buddy. <laughs> you listen. God knows we need that. I can't go personal picks. I can't go personal picks with it because my picks are all over the place. I'm going straight. Uh, what I feel are facts or 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 earned facts are weird because yeah this is this is a sports not no, no, sports. sorry not yeah. facts i feel that these are earned these are I'm, but this is completely subjective it is it's always I'm subjective myself i'm taking myself personally out of it okay and i'm going as somebody who uh, was a musician and who knows this stuff i'm going with eric clapton i'm going with dwayne allman Ray going with stevie mm -hmm. ray vaughn and eddie van halen okay um if I had to go, I mean, this is a guy who I, who I never hear get any type of love is Tom Schultz from Boston. Um, he created a sound. He was phenomenal. He created he oh. invented he invented the Rockman. Okay, which is which is that 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 muffled type sound. Uh, he he he's he was really like he invented a, a, a part of an instrument. I love Tom Schultz uh, and, and especially some of the leads that he's he's done have been amazing. Uh, Randy Rhodes. Uh, the guy is only twenty. I, I think it's yeah, twenty five. <laughs> really? I, yeah. I never I bring up. Saying, I, wanted to, I wanted to guess your list. I wanted to guess your list. I forgot to do that. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say Randy Rhodes. I mean, I just don't know if there's a better guitar player who ever lived. You know, and remember, he doesn't make it to to twenty seven. He's only twenty five, twenty six years old when he dies. David Gilmore of uh, of, of uh, Pink Floyd is 
one of you know he's just beautiful he can play on an amazing slide guitar listen to his lead in um in high hopes and tell me that doesn't you know emote some type of emotion and then i also find it very hard to come up with um a number four and it can be anyone from eddie van halen to jimi hendrix to jimmy page you know they're all off the charts you know players yeah i think it's you know it's what what speaks to you you know, like exactly. blues may speak more to me than it does to Sean. It may speak more. You know, it's just it's it's what it is. You know? I would put Don Beg I'd put Don Beg Darrell on my list if I had to make. Yeah, a he was great. No, I, mean, I mean, especially for that genre of music. You know, it's, it's like there's nobody maybe. you know could shred. Bad like Boys that. from Hell is there a better like uh, riff like identifiable? Oh, that opening. That opening. Yeah, I should come amazing. out to that. I should yeah. come out to that. It was great. I was like, I'd wait for the really? whole song to play. Yeah, <laughs> before That's I'd awesome. even come out. <laughs> Adam, have you have you thought of anything yet? You know, I think the best uh, the best one I saw live was, and Dustin already talks about him was Prince. I think it was nice. the best, at least, uh, uh, seeing in concert. Um, you know, maybe uh, I'm trying to think of Smothers. Um, who, who's the um, man? I can't even think for Black Keys. Um, Oh yeah, that guy's great. Uh, Dan, uh... I don't know. I just buy albums. I don't know all the right. names. <laughs> Dan Soder. <laughs> you know, Derek Truck. Speaking of the Almond Brothers, um, great. Uh, I think he's great, and I had a pleasure to hang out with him. We played poker together, and he was telling Almond Brothers stories and like, um, yeah, but that was phenomenal. Just anyway, Shepard. Yeah, yeah, another brilliant guitar player. Absolutely. Listen, man, we, we can do this for probably another two hours just to hear and bullshit talk music. But, Dustin, I really want to thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thank man. you, buddy. Great catching up, really. Yeah, it's always fun. I always say in order for friends to actually talk to each other, we got to do a podcast. We're not going to nobody's going to call each other. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there has to be a mic involved or we're not. No, Jeff calls me, Dustin. Jeff calls uh, me when I uh, get it. I actually I, I get this hit in my stomach like I have a fucking ulcer. When I see the phone, because you have to understand, I will personally send you the picture that I have for Jeffrey's contact photo. And when you see this picture, you'll understand why I get physically revolted when he calls me. Does he have a hammer? No, he was sick one day. He was this Don't get me fucking started with this, please. No, it's a ketchup bottle. Oh God, it's dumb fucking headshots. Anyway, no, there was one day where he was really sick and he had the flu, and he had to send me a picture of him with the flu. Okay. And he looked so pathetic, and I made that his contact photo. That's hilarious. Yeah, he sent me some weird pictures over the years, and I'll be like, "Dude, why yeah, are you sending no, a picture?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, usually he's pointing. He's got a micro. He's got a mic cable wrapped around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> not far enough. But yeah, I get a lot of food involved. I think I've have a few where he's got like a like a, a twinkie in his mouth or something. There's some weird like Happy New Year, and he's got like two Twinkies. You're like what? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad we can that. We can Photoshop that real quick. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I may have. I may have to re. re, re <laughs> yeah, maybe we have to rethink all this now. Yeah, no All props right. in your headshots. That's a new new rule for 2024. <laughs> I have I am who I am, and I'm sticking to it. I'll be I'll be doing no hammers, no Twinkies, no ketchup bottles. No, I'm gonna be doing VFWs for the rest of my straight life. Face. Hey, no, I love it. Yeah, who books that? Yeah. Hopefully, the next one's a fucking circular saw. And you're just jumping on it. That's what I'm hoping the next headshot is. Oh, shut up. You would miss him so much. It'd just be you and Adam. Come on. You, you wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> Dustin, where can people find you? And 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 what do you got coming up that we can kind of help you promote? 
Uh, you can find me on the old Instagram. I'm trying to get those followers up at Dustin underscore Chafin. Um, I'll be in Ogden, Utah, February 16th and 17th at Wise Guys headlining. So come check me out. And then um, the end of February, be on the Be Funny Tour Nate Bergazzi. Uh, we're hitting Washington, D.C. and Virginia and Maine. It's going to be a really fun tour. So, yeah, come out. I'll get you backstage. We'll take some pictures uh, with no props. Are the, are the in-laws <laughs> coming to the show in Maine? <laughs> the what? In-laws come to the show in Maine? Uh, no, nah, they just saw me in uh, Portland, Maine, and that they live pretty close to that. This is Bangor, Maine, so it's a little farther out. So they're not coming to that. So, yeah, I, this is going to be great. I hate it when people come to shows sometimes you know, like that, you know, like your in-laws. You're like, oh, God, they're looking at me like, really? This is the guy taking care of my daughter with you? With you, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. So come out. This has been a lot of fun. Guys, Yay. please check out Dustin Chafin. Uh, go see him on tour. He's hysterical and a great guy on top of it. All right, listen, man, Yay. thank you so much for doing this. And we will catch you next time on Who's Your Band. Thank you very much, everybody.